Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Talking Jack with me Claire and my sister Megan. On this episode we are going to be looking at rom-coms. Um, yeah just looking at the genre and um, initially obviously this was supposed to be linked to Valentine's Day um, however a bit late for that so um we're still going. We're still going to take a look at them. Basically, just looking at the genre and how um, the films within the genre have changed over time, um, and how they have reflected the times that they were made in, um, and also how a lot of people have said over the recent years that the rom com genre itself has been in decline and almost has died off. Um, and just looking to see if that claim can be somewhat or if anything substantiated um yeah so we'll just get started yeah that's fine talking jack dissecting the everyday Okay, so um, rom-coms have always been... I feel like rom-com, the genre itself, have always been seen as somewhat of like a guilty pleasure. Like, they've always been demeaned in a way as just a chick flick, and they're not um, of any serious um, clout or value um, within... The movie world you know they're never really seen as oscar worthy type films um they're not the most highbrow um but i do think they've always prevailed somewhat they've always been around whether you love them or hate them i do think that everyone has their own favorite rom-com and it does mean something to them i mean there's something to them in that you know they've they're around about the seventh highest grossing film genre. I know that doesn't sound too high, but considering what we've kind of said about them, it makes sense. But you know, um, still not a bad position to be in. Um, and I think their longevity lies in the fact that they're all so quite inexpensive to make. Um, but we'll get into that whether that's a good or bad thing Um, however as I said in the intro rom-coms have kind of had a decline in recent years you know we've had the heyday of I would say around about the 90s maybe early very early 2000s was rom-coms kind of heyday they were everywhere um, and since then, there's been a decline in both the quality of them and the number of them. Um, and just to add to that, like in 2022, I, I was having a look at the uh, 20 biggest box office releases and there is not a single rom-com in that. I don't think there was one in like the top 30. Um the only thing that I, I kind of thought maybe came close was The Lost City was like number 24, but then 
That's the one with Sandra Bullock, I think, and Channing Tatum. It's more of an adventure sort of film rather than a classic rom-com, but it's still got those tropes to it. And i never seen it, but I was kind of thinking where the Crawdads sing, number 32. But again, that's not really romantic comedy. That's just a drama with some romance in it. Um, but it just kind of gives you an idea of where rom-coms are within the audience popularity um, and I also think you which we'll look into later as well you have to take into consideration that um, a lot of streaming platforms now make and distribute a lot of rom-coms um, and it isn't really studios and it isn't really cinematic releases um, for the rom-com genre so I think that adds to it but before we um get into it um i just wanted to um ask your opinion of rom-coms megan what your relationship with the rom-com genre is whether you're a fan whether you're not yep so um i'll answer that just in a second sorry i don't mean to be really annoying but i just wanted to say with the where the called called a singer whatever the film is i, I think that's more like a thriller but i don't know Okay, you're probably right. I know I was pulling it. For, like that's I, not funny, but <laughs> no, I was clutching at straws because I was like, no, I, I get was... what you mean. I think you're saying like things that have like a romance at the center. Yeah, because I feel like yeah. as I'm gonna go into, like I feel like you know, there's a you can look at your classic rom com and they'll have all the same formulaic tropes, but I feel like of late a way to still sort of satisfy that is to put that type of like romance into other types of like yeah. genres and films but yeah no it just it, it kind of just adds to what I'm saying in that like rom-coms mm -hmm. are not popular at all at the moment sorry just really annoying there um yeah um one thing I, I wanted to say as well is that um there was this quote by this guy who wrote this book about rom-coms uh in 2007 Tamar Jeffries McDonald and he says that he disputes the idea that rom-coms should only be guilty pleasures because they can be more complex than that using for example the blend elements of realism that the audience can relate to whilst equally balancing like fantasy that audience can escape to um, and then uh, I was just thinking when you were talking there uh, I will actually answer your question in a second um, that do you not then you know if you look at like the decline of rom-coms I was just wondering whether that's just a general sign of like films dying out and TV series is becoming bigger and I wonder if there's a, still a market for rom-coms in TV genre because I feel like if you look at Netflix there's a lot of kind of Rom yeah, no, kind of absolutely. Shows. So because I, I think the genre is probably still there in that sense, but just not in the f in film. But I don't know. Like I say, and I'll get onto. I don't really watch much of the genre, so I don't know for definite. But yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest like sort of fan of rom coms, and I think there's. I don't know. Some of it could be like that kind of like snobbish sort of reaction to them. Um, but we've talked about it in our episode talking about horror films. Um, 
I kind of go towards whether it's probably quite strange, but like if I feel down or whatever, I go towards watching horror. I don't really watch rom coms to feel better because to me, I'm just like, it just makes me feel worse. But Because interestingly, you like yeah, like, do rom coms make you feel worse because of the realism that you associate with a rom probably, com? probably, yeah. Like, I, it's not to me, it's not escapism, and I want escapism when Mm -hmm. I feel sad. You want the distraction. Um, and then I just don't love the sort of like formulaic nature of them to then watch them just as through like straight choice, if you know what I mean. Uh, And I think a lot of the ones that I do watch, but I like, I watch or I like them more through nostalgia um, because I maybe watched them when I was younger or my parents liked them or, you know, there's some sort of significant thing that ties them to, like, you liking it, if you know what I mean. Like, you might have watched it when you were, like, like a teenager or whatever. Um, but that's what I'd say I absolutely hate them. Like, I can watch them. They're quite fun. Like, you know, and the one good thing about them, although they're probably getting longer, is they're short to watch because films are so long these days. Um, So what's but, your favourite rom-com? uh, my favourite rom-com of all time or yes, yeah, of if all you time can, is Overboard from 1987. yeah, the Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell one, yeah, and that is part nostalgia and part I just love it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. We'll get into that because obviously like, it fits into a certain type of um, rom-com subgenre, but I can see, like, if I know you, obviously, the way that I do, and you're not a massive fan of rom-coms, is that, like, I feel like you like that because it's the screwball nature of that and that it's quite dysfunctional in a sense. Um, and it's romantic, but I wouldn't say it's the most most romantic film, but we'll, we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll I mean, the discuss, premise we'll discuss of it is them. that he like basically kidnaps her. Well, he doesn't, but you know, Yes. on paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically... It's like this rich woman who basically Cheats him like out woman. with his money when he does like a carpeting job on a boat. Yeah, and so then she throw she throws him overboard and she wakes up and she's got amnesia and he has this great idea to get his own back by pretending that he is her husband and he takes her back to his house to look after his four kids. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, boys. yeah, and then you can just see how that goes from there. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Great. So a lot of it is more just like her, Mm -hmm. the comedy of the class differences between them, Yeah. I'd say, more Yeah. so than basically the romance. So it's very heavily to And me anyway. and It's more it's more on this comedy, like you were saying. Yeah. yeah, and I do think a lot of it. which a lot of those sorts of films do is that it's a big sort of battle of the sexes Yes. um, which is always at play in those ones um, and to me I, I quite like that dynamic in, in films um, oh there was another point I was going to say about Overboard actually and it's The actors just, have really good chemistry just because yes they're actually a couple. that's that's exactly what I was going to say yeah I think That when we look into the reasons why rom-coms kind of declined, or at least why audiences were quite fatigued by them, one of the things that comes up is that the actors don't have good chemistry. And that's why a lot of them fail, is because they don't have that. And I think that I do really like it because they have really great chemistry.
which is exactly what you need. I mean, it's a prerequisite for a rom-com, right? You have to have that. Um, yeah, interesting. I mean, likewise, Overboard is one of my favourite rom-coms. Um, but I think I like the genre more than you do. Mm-hmm. I do have, like, four that are, like, my favourite. So I, I have... I them, but... Oh, do you want to go go for it? Um, okay. I think, uh, well, Overboard. Um, yeah. Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Clueless. Yeah. Man Up? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're my favourite ones. I just love them. I'd like to say that I like two of them because, you know, they're based on uh, Shakespeare and Jane Austen. Yeah, Austen's book, Emma. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, man up, it's completely random. Um, but again, I can get into that because I like the cynicism involved in it. Um, you see the way that we have see when you like I'm the same like if I tell you other ones that I sort of like but we can go into it later so I do yeah. have ones that I like but I'm not like my god favorite film yes um but even when I'm like thinking about it you're constantly feel like you have to defend why and it's because of that kind of like mm-hmm. even to yourself you're you're is it like inverted snobbery or something I don't know yeah like that you are like that with yourself about the film genre yeah when you could just outright be like yeah I like the film Exactly. And I feel like if you were like, oh, what's your favourite film? You have to be like, oh, like, do you mean like rom-com or do you mean like guilty pleasure? Because if I, I said to someone, no, my favourite film, I, I couldn't be like my favourite film of all films and then say a rom-com. I could only preface that with being like, oh, well, my favourite guilty pleasure film. And then I'd say mm-hmm. a rom-com. Mm-hmm. But if I was making like serious selections, they I couldn't say that they're my favourite film because of that sort of snobbery that you you have about it like you're kind of saying um but yeah uh just wanted to see where we both were um with rom-coms before we get into it so i just wanted to see as well so looking at the top 10 highest grossing rom-coms of all time so if you haven't looked this up megan I wanted to see if you could guess what number one would be. Mm. I'm surprised a certain film isn't on this list, though. I've got three in my head. When Harry Met Sally? You'd think, wouldn't you? Pretty Woman? Not number one, that's number four. What what decade is it from? Mm, early two thousands. Easy A. No. Is it one you like? I've actually never seen this film. I think you've seen it. Clearly, don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'll put you out your misery. It's uh, my big fat Greek wedding. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, no, I think I'm I thinking of Four it. Weddings and a Funeral, maybe. I have seen my Greek oh, wedding. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, number one, highest grossing rom-com of all time. Very. It was big when it came out, I do yeah. remember that. Yeah, it was big. The second was Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 2005. 
I didn't even class that as one. It should be, but I just class it as an action film. Yeah. I do like that film. Again, it's the chemistry. Um, quite controversial, but still. Um, the third was Hitch in 2005. The Have fourth, you seen that? I've seen that. I've not seen that one. Is it good? I think you enjoyed it. I quite liked it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, number four, Pretty Woman, 1990. Number five, Something About Mary, 1998. Number six, Crazy Rich Asians, 2018, which is the only one from, like, you know, like, the past ten years. Which has been like so critically and commercially successful. Mm. Um, number seven, The Proposal, two thousand and nine. Number eight, Jerry Maguire, nineteen ninety six. Number nine, Sex and the City, two thousand and eight. And number ten, Runway Bride, nineteen ninety nine. Very surprised that there's something about um no, when Harry Met Sally is not in there. Yeah, I don't know um, why that would be. But... Oh yeah, me too. It's quite um questioning their research um, <laughs> so the rom-com formula in of itself is not entirely new um, it dates back to Shakespeare pretty much um, a lot of his uh, most famous plays are romance um, romantic comedies I guess um, however um, in terms of movies and film uh, rom-coms can date back to around 1924. The first rom-coms were Sherlock Jr. and Girl Shy in 1924. Um, just followed the f- traditional formula that we all know. Which what would what would you sum sum that formula up as? Boy meets girl. Yeah. Boy loses girl. Boy tries to get girl back. Boy does get girl back. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two people meet, there's some sort of conflict, and then they reunite and fall in love. That's it. Um, And then in the 1920s and the 1930s, a big trope in rom-coms was the comedy of manners. Um, This was usually some sort of like realistic satire of... The manners and social conventions of like aristocracy or sophisticated upper class middle class society, and um, the usual plot was when someone who is rich falls in love with someone of a lower status, some sort of conflict, and then they get back together. And then after that, like I'd said to you before, screwball comedies were a big thing. They were around, which is interesting because obviously Overboard did not come out in the 30s and the 40s. But this isn't to say that like these types of um, rom-com subgenres, if you like, um, didn't exist out with this period. It's just that they're very typical of these time periods. You know, like you still get comedies, uh, comedy of manners of sorts still today. You know, right the way through. Um, same with screwball comedies, obviously, because that is what Overboard is. But they became a big thing in the 30s and the 40s. Um, they were common in the Great Depression era as they satirised the traditional love story. Um, they sort of unfolded in very odd, non-traditional, dysfunctional ways with like a lot of like farcical situations. Um, 
and they were often distinguished by a strong female character who dominates the relationship with the male character whose masculinity is usually somewhat challenged. Um, they usually engage in a battle of sexes, which at that time was very new for Hollywood, which I would say you can see in Overboard as an example of a screwball comedy. Um, so film historians have noted that the period between 1953 and 1965 was when Hollywood embraced sex comedy as the main form of romantic comedy. Um, these films drew attention to the ways in which women were having sex before marriage, which before was quite a new like before, like you even even if they were, it wouldn't be something you'd want to show or idealize or romanticize in films. Um, they usually featured playboy men. I mean, sometimes they were literally playboy men, like the actors, um, who would try to to seduce marriage-minded women. With the central question always being like, "Will she? Won't she?" Um, but they would always end up falling for the girl in the end. Like these films were quite big with. Marilyn Monroe and Doris Day at the time, like they were actresses that featured a lot in these types of films. Um, they were sort of wedged between the cookie cutter conformities of the 50s and then the women's liberation movement of the 70s. Um, and they tapped into the changes that men and women face in everyday life in this really sort of like fun, lighthearted, parodied sort of way. So, you know, although they had this sort of like subtext to them it wasn't like they were i feel like i want to be like i don't i don't want to talk about like wokeness and stuff but i just mean like i feel like at that point like they obviously had an agenda to those films but they weren't like that was the main reason for making the films you know now sometimes you see like if people call it films for being woke or whatever they're maybe like wanting to parody or or to satirize what's happening culturally or socially at the time now but they kind of if it's really really heavy set like everyone can see the agenda in that film too easily whereas like it's just exactly what these films were doing but they didn't make it like the reason that like that it was like wedged into the narrative of anything it was like done in quite a like light-hearted way um so yeah um the things that they did um satirize included women struggling with their new identities and roles um, and then men sort of adapting to these changes. These films poked fun at the sexual revolution along with the freedoms and infidelities that challenged marriages, workplaces and often parenting. And then, so I was just going to ask before I continue, I don't know your familiarity, like your familiarity with these films, so I don't know if you've ever like seen any, or if you have any examples of them, Megan. Mm. I'd be very surprised yeah. if you did. I mean, I just, I just don't like it's. I it's was not trying my to look up stuff when you had suggested that this is what we would be talking about, and. I just looked up a bit about like screwball comedies and all I really know is that the first ever film to sort of be labelled as the first the 
screwball comedy, sorry, is uh, a film from 1934 and it's called It Happened One Night. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only a sort of moderate success at the time, but it's gone on to be like so culturally significant because it kind of like blends a lot of what you were saying. Like it blends kind of like traditional maybe like ideas. I mean, it sort of like uh, it was about like kind of like a heterosexual couple, like mm-hmm. you know, like a man and a woman want to be together, and then it focused on them sort of like dating, and then maybe going on to marriage. But they also had a really like sort of tempestuous sort of like relationship, and then it all kind of got like a bit kind of like I don't know, might call it like zany, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it just plays on that same idea of um, kind of just exactly what you said, uh, where um with that film they were probably i didn't realize this until you said it but like the film the comedy films before that one came out were ones where did you say that there was a lot of like class divide yeah like the romance sort of came from the idea that someone who was of a different class from you could fall in love with someone of a lower class yeah um, they like when I've read about this film, some people say like it's reverses class snobbery. So before it would have been that like you look down on the people who are like working class, but it's yeah. in this one it seems to be the working class people are sort of like ah. a better character. Um, yeah, I don't know about. Are you going to say anything else about the um, next one, the sex comedies one? Um, I was just going to go and look at films from the seventies. So no. Okay, I'll just read you some of the notes that I made. Um, so all my stuff just comes from one book that I, that I had. So it's the romantic comedy. Uh, there's a longer title, but it's the one by MacDonald and from 2007. Yeah. Um, and he says basically what you said, that like sex comedies pits women against man in an elemental battle of wits in which the goal of both is sex. Only the timing and legitimacy of this differs from gender to gender, with women wanting sex after and men before or without marriage. And then it's basically what you said, like they flourished in about like the fifties to sixties and then they had a resurgence in the mid in the mid two thousands. Um yeah, and basically, like, the main motive is sex, really, in these films. Yeah. Um, and then at one point that I thought was quite interesting, he said, those films are kind of marked by a hierarchy of knowledge. So where the man more knows more than the female character, but the audience knows more than both of them. And I was trying to think of an example to showcase that. I couldn't think of one. Oh. And I was like... But oh I God, don't if no. I if I watch comedies, I'm like I don't know if I watch them. But to be honest, I think Overboard fits that. I think Overboard is the, is a mix between a screwball and a sex comedy because it follows the tropes of a sex comedy. Yes, it does. That, yeah, 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 yeah. The man knows more than she does because he knows, but we know more than both because like mm-hmm. you're you're away off the whole thing. Um. Yes, so, that's I, I so keep true. About Overboard, but I was just like, it just fits. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, um, some of like the more modern ones in like the nineteen nineties are examples of this. Are the Farley Brothers uh, films like Shallow Hal, Something About Mary, and then Forty Days and Forty Nights and Forty Year Old Virgin. Mhm. 
And then it said here as well that like, sorry, I'm... you might go onto this, so I really don't want to like step on your toes, but just if you do, just repeat the point or whatever. But he also says that like, sex comedies kind of had to change probably around the time that you were probably going to go into with contraceptive pill. Mm. Because he says, um, with no reason left for women to be um, guarding their virginity, which is what the sex comedy had come rather monotonously to uh, basically show or involve, um, depending on sex being talked about, sorry, comedy had come, wait, no, I'm writing this quote wrong, it's so annoying. Um, yeah, they now depended on sex being talked about, plotted and lied for, but never actually enacted. Um, so like that kind of lost its appeal. So they kind of like, because they, they, they switched rather than being about like, sort of the sex battle between the two sexes and it switched rather to focus on the male character more yep. so than the female and th- because it was about this man being like ooh who will I date out of all these pool of like really like amazing women because they're all available because they can all have sex without worrying about it because they've got the pill right um, and then they were like that's where you saw like the rise of sort of like spoof sort of spy movies that were all kind of like with that kind of plot line um, Yeah. And then that kind of fed into like other uh, rom-coms where you probably see more of a lead on the man because it was about yeah. him getting sex because he's got all these women. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm looking up like obviously like my frame of reference is around about two thousands films, but there's so many that fit what you're saying about sex comedies. You know how you were saying it did have a resurgence, like. You know, there's classic like American Pie, um, which classic. I was never a fan of. Um, National Lampoon, mm-hmm. John Tucker Must Die, super bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think and you said? Did you evolved... say the forty year old virgin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And notice in them. Sorry, carry on, carry on. No, no, I'm just saying the examples that like I, I know, like I'm familiar with. So then there's like Friends with Benefits, Knocked Up, This is 40, I suppose Bridget Jones in a way, maybe? Yeah, I never know where that film fits. Um, the one, this is this is funny, because this is the one that came to my mind, um, is Love and Other Drugs. Love, Sex and Other Drugs. Mm-hmm. It's just very classic Battle of Sexes, kind of. Um, both want sex both um, very like promiscuous for want of a better word and then realise that they want something deeper Um, yeah there's just a lot the proposal could be Um, yeah very interesting okay I'll move on to 1970s, which is um, quite unique in a way, quite a confined um, era for rom-coms.
things. So, in the 1970s, it was obviously post-sexual revolution. Um, so, within the rom-com genre, it meant it kind of rebelled against the screwball and the sex comedies that had came before it, as well as the traditional romantic uh, tropes from the 50s. And these films were quite radical and very non-traditional. They portrayed sex relationships in society more realistically and focused on personal happiness over, you know, your soul fulfillment coming from finding a partner or romantic connection. Uh, these films, typically and crucially, they often um, had leading endings and were more open um, or relationships were often resigned to failure. They focused on the hardships of life and relationships rather than being quite escapism and, you know, like having your happy ever after at the end. And the biggest example of this film, this this type of film, would be Annie Hall. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Annie Hall, Megan. No. No. I know what it is, but... Yeah, it's the film with Woody Harrelson. Don't, oh my God, why could you say Woody Harrelson? It's not Woody Harrelson. I meant to say Woody Allen. Woody no. Allen and uh, Diane Keaton in it. And I'm trying to recall the plot of Annie Hall. And I um, but I think it's just along the lines of they meet, they get on, they he likes her she doesn't like him or they have a relationship on off relationship and they don't work in the end i think something like that very brief overview very loosely based on what annie hall actually is um and of course and it the biggest thing was that diane keaton wasn't your typical rom-com leading woman she was very independent she was very like an intelligent um what's the word I'm looking for? Oh okay educated. There we go. Women, um and you know, even her dress sense was difficult. We all uh, difficult, different. We all know uh the typical outfit that she wears in it, you know, she, when she's quite um androgynously dressed, um with the waistcoat and the tie and the trousers. Just a very typical of uh, the the idea of a woman through like the male gaze. Subverts it in quite a lot of ways. So the New York Times had a good sort of like quote for how they like sum up the radical uh, rom-com from the 70s saying that people in these movies seem to have soured on love stories and on one another. It was only as movies swelled into blockbusters that the traditional romantic comedy flourished again. So from the 70s, because obviously there was a lot of like cynicism towards romantic romantic relationships and whether it was really going to happen. And there was like obviously like the sexual revolution. So it was a lot of women were like, you know, like, I don't need a man, blah, blah, blah. I don't need a relationship to make my life. 
Um, and on the other side of that, when you're not looking at what the audiences wanted, um, it meant that romantic comedies to get back into them, like I was kind of saying before, they don't need to be traditionally like a romantic comedy, but those tropes that you're looking for, the traditional tropes from romance, came from like your blockbusters, like Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones, like those types of romances in them, aside from the whole like sci-fi action, whatever, superhero-ness of those films, were very, very traditional. Um, but yeah, moving on from then, in the 1980s, it's weird. It's like it's like the blockbusters sort of were like the stepping stone towards like, okay, we've kind of like gone over this hurdle of people not liking rom-coms, right? Let's just get back into this appetite of like people wanting like a traditional classic romance story because in the 80s, they kind of did like a full 180 and um, movies returned to very neo-traditional tropes. Um, these movies undone the radical plots or narratives from the 70s movies um, but differently, they didn't really focus too much on sex. So the focus was on romantic love and compatibility, but with a much stricter emphasis on the importance of communication and compromise. The New York Times also had a great quote where they were like, these films were like a modern gloss on the classical style, which I thought was quite a good way to put it. 1982's romance also gave, especially like American um, Hollywood rom-coms, they gave into corporate fever and expanded to focus on work and the workplace more than just companionship, but what it meant to be a woman working and how they are able to juggle having both. Like, I think I, there's loads of examples, but, like, the only one that I can think that comes to mind is, like, uh, obviously, like, there's loads of different things that this film goes into, but, uh, oh, no, I've forgotten the name of it now. Tootsie is a good example of that. Um, And then, of course, the end of the 1980s slash 1990s, we had When Harry Met Sally. Before I get into it, obviously, like when Harry Met Sally was like a huge critical and commercial success, and um, we'll go into the reasons why. But I just want to ask Megan, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? No. Would you ever watch When Harry Met Sally? Probably not. You wouldn't. No. If you want to spoil the plot, it's fine. No, no, I'm I'm just curious, like, because it's interesting because you're someone that I know is quite cynical towards rom-coms, so I just wonder, like, why you not ever wanted to watch it. Just not really interested in it. Like, just, I think it's purely just because I can't, sorry, I literally can't think of, like, a, a thing where I'm like, why did I not want to watch it? I just, like... I'm probably like this with a lot of films. Like for it took me forever to watch Star Wars. You know things that you hear of it and they've got like that kind of like status of being this really classic film. You sometimes just like no point in watching it. Then I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's probably just because I was like, oh, rom com boring. No, that's fair. Um, 
I think for a while as well, I thought it was like a straight out drama and I was like, that is boring. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed When Harry Met Sally. Like, I always saw it as something that, like, my mum would watch or, like, our mum would watch and um, I never, like, sat down and watched it with her, but I knew it was one of her favourites and when I saw, like, clips of it when she watched it, I was like, this actually looks really good and I think it's definitely worth watching even for someone who's a cynic towards rom-coms. It's so I I really really like when Harry met Sally, um. Yeah, it's often cited as creating the modern rom com that we kind of like have today. Um. It established the trope of the high maintenance difficult girl and the idea of the transitional boyfriend, um. Completely disrupted the idea of happy ever after. Subverts the meet cute fantasy, because. In when Harry met Sally, they meet. So they meet first as friends, but they're introduced by another friend, and they take this road trip because basically they're going to. I think they're going to New York to go to college, and he's driving, and I think he knows them. Their mutual friend basically says, "Oh, like." So their mutual friend would be like, "Oh, Harry." Like, one of my friends is going to New York with your driver. So, like, he drives Sally, and that's how they meet. And when they're driving, they begin to, like, hate each other. Um, like, they're just not compatible at all. Um, the characters... What's good about when Harry met Sally, and I think this is, like, so key to a really good rom-com, a really good film, period. But the characters are allowed to grow and evolve in a really natural way outside of a relationship as well. So they're, like, fully rounded characters, um, and also I would say like Billy Crystal as well isn't your typical like handsome suave rom-com kind of like male lead he's just like a very average regular guy Um, and it's interesting because like I feel like as I've said it kind of subverts the happy ever after trope it's kind of a story of afters because they kind of meet their friends they each have like failed relationships. I think Harry and it gets divorced. Sally has a different, another failed relationship. They realize they like each other. Then like they kind of like one of them likes the other one. The other one doesn't at the right time, so they don't work. They try it, they don't work, and then at the end, just to ruin it, spoilers. They do get together. They've like you know they're they're narrating it as well. They do not narrate the whole film. I'm just saying at the end you see them as an old couple and they, they are together and they, they they talk about like oh this is what makes a marriage work but there it's like they're so real about it and obviously in the film as well you've got discussions like really realistic discussions about you know the whole famous can men and women be friends and Sally's like oh yeah they can of course they can and Harry's like no of course they can't because sex always gets in the way and then um you have a famous scene where she's talking about, like, in sex, like, the orgasm scene where she's, like, explaining to him, oh, women can, like, fake it, and then she does the whole thing in the restaurant, which is just, like, you wouldn't get in, like, a, a, a film before that. Like, it's just so good. Um, <laughs> the thing I think that's interesting about Harry Mitzelli is I know you're probably like, oh, how is this really, like, radical or different or whatever? It sounds quite... um 
samey as maybe like what you've had before and of course it's not like reinventing the wheel but it kind of bridges both tropes of the radical independent sort of women and and the fact that the you know there might not be any ha- ha- happy ever afters um and you know the endings can be more open they it takes that from the 70s but yet also takes the traditionalism from the typical like romantic sort of comedies and bits of like sex comedies as well and kind of just like bridges them all together in this really sort of like new sort of like fresh rom-com it's just it's not i'm not meant to like convince you to watch when harry met sally but it's just really good um and then obviously in the 1990s rom-coms ruled the big screen like they were like there was like massive heyday of the rom-com was the 90s in both 1998 and 1999 three of the top 20 highest grossing films of all time were rom-coms which is completely different to where we are today um and of course one of the biggest was megan Uh, Pretty Woman. Yes. Um, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, obviously. Um, and the thing is that like many of these films, I would say, were like only really successful due to the power of their like leading ladies and leading men. You know, like you would have. I always have this where like you would you would associate an actor or an actress with rom-coms so for example like who would you say if i was like rom-coms what actresses would you say uh julia roberts and sandra bullock yeah exactly it'd be like julia roberts sandra bullock meg ryan andy mcdowell Mm. men i can only think of you grant is that right Mm. you grant matthew mcconaughey maybe in like the 90s or early 2000s But like mm. it was, it was common to have like these actors, and actors yeah, that you'd be like, oh, if it's a rom com, like they're going to be in it, you know, like they would lead that, um, which I think helped the success and popularity of rom coms. Um, and obviously, like in the nineteen nineties, which I thought was an interesting point when I was um researching it, is that. Movie studios in the 90s were quite, like, experimental. So, like, they wanted to try loads of different things, loads of different genres, loads of different types of films. Um, And at that time, like, big budget blockbusters weren't a massive, massive thing. Obviously, they were, but it's just, like, they did it. You know how right now we sort of, like, have an explosion of, like, franchises like Marvel and everything like that because, like, they're very CGI-heavy films. In the 90s, it wasn't so much that. So... Rom-coms were kind of like a safe bet for both producers, filmmakers, and actors. So it does kind of like make a good sort of like breeding ground for rom-coms, I suppose. But audiences did start to want a lot more from these films, which they didn't really, because they were all in a in a sense very formulaic, because they could make them easily and quickly. And they had the same actors in them and everything. So they're very formulaic and a lot of obviously audiences won't need um films which didn't follow such traditional narratives that weren't formulaic 
and that were more representative of their lives and were more diverse. A lot of these films are very heteronormative. So the heyday of the 90s started to wane and then in the 2000s, that's when you kind of saw rom-com fatigue where people would say that's when the kind of like rom-com died off and that's kind of like where we are today. So I'm just going to look at maybe like why that would be the case. Um, but I just want to say, like, do you do you associate that with the 2000s? Because when I was first looking at it, I was like, oh, 2000s definitely be when like rom-coms were like massive. But maybe there was a lot of them, but I don't know whether they were good rom-coms. If you can associate the two together, like good and rom-com. Yeah, I think they were probably dying out really as like a sort of um genre. I think yeah. it either just went straight to comedy or straight to romance. It was like, yeah, you just get your comedy and it's really silly or whatever, or um it's more like drama focused. Yes. And mm-hmm. bigger budget, like, you know. Take for example, like I don't know if this is even relevant, but I was just thinking about it. Like Titanic was a massive success and it's like oh it's sold on their romance if you know what I mean and it's like this tragic almost kind of like Romeo and Juliet type story and it takes you back to that idea of like romance being like a sort of swooning kind of like drama thing rather than the silly sort of like teenage sex thing and I think maybe that's where it was going it like so the the idea of like that kind of like yeah what I just said that's kind of dying out in the 2000s maybe it went to being more uh, serious in tone uh-huh. and sort of tragic and sort of thing. Absolutely valid, yeah. I have like a few reasons. So some of them might like merge into what you're kind of talking about, but I can go through them. So I feel like to look at rom-coms, like I'd mentioned when we first, when we started this episode, like, you can't separate it from it being known as a chick flick. So you kind of have to look at the changing attitudes towards women, which you kind of have done throughout the the, uh, the eras. Um, so they've always obviously been marketed towards female audiences, which I would say owes a lot to their success um and in the 90s um obviously it was kind of just assumed by these filmmakers that all women wanted from these films was just a meet cute a bit of conflict and then a romantic reunion and you were sorted you were happy but during the late 2000s that's like women made up the vast majority of the movie going audiences over men And it proved that this film genre was kind of worth investing in to do more with, to be, to to push boundaries, to be more diverse, to make different narratives, to break certain formulas, because the audience was there, if you know what I mean, the demographic was there and it was a vast majority. Um, And what really showed that was, well, like one of the examples would be Bridesmaids. So that was like, such a success that maybe like a lot of people were looking at like okay like like this genre is worth doing something differently with and like investing money in and making good films 
Um, Michael Scorsese from The Hollywood Reporter said the audiences aren't tired of romance in of itself, they're just tired of the formulas, which I think is true. I don't think like like romance in films. Like it's like when we when we talk about the whole problem with rom coms, I don't think it's like people are tired of that. That will always be a thing in films that people will always want that. It's just the way that they go about it, the way they present it, the way they write it. Um so like recent films like This is 40, Crazy Stupid Love, although I would argue they're kind of like sex comedies, but they show the audiences want less focus on falling in love, but are interested in unpacking the nuances of sex or the long-term challenges of marriage, for example, or all the complexities of like life and relationships. Um, and viewers are more likely to watch their own complex, messy, interesting lives reflected back to them rather than something that someone's idealised and thought, this is what you want. They want to see their real lives on screen. And I think that's what makes a successful rom-com now. Also, another reason why I think they um, have declined or at least are struggling or changing um, is because a lot of like I think this kind of maybe goes to your point a lot of like the big names and the stars that like I was saying that we associate with rom-coms um, grew up and moved on um, and left the genre over the last decade many famous faces have tried hard to distance themselves from the genre like I remember when I was like watching The Gentleman with you grant in it and I was like oh this is so different for him like he's playing a completely different character because all I'm used to seeing him in is this like oh what what would you call it like knight in shining armor kind of like romantic character in films like Notting Hill and um for weddings and a funeral there's loads of others Bridget Jones um, so it's like this is so different for him but like obviously like they can break away from it they don't need to be tied to that genre forever and and, and do different things um, however it just meant that without these actors these leading actors it meant that like uh, rom-coms kind of struggled to attract audiences and since then, the rom-com genre has struggled to launch a lot of new leading stars, making the genre suffer in the sort of modern landscape of film in general, just because they, they, they don't have anyone associated with this that can that can carry this off as like a good genre. Because even, even with an action, you have that, you know, like you think of action, you think of like Tom Cruise and like maybe Once Upon a Time, like Matt Damon or whatever, you know. Um... So the exodus of rom-com directors and filmmakers such as Gary Marshall, uh, Nora Ephron, and there'll be like loads of others. I'm trying to think of one. Oh, there was another well-known one that I, I, that comes to mind when I think of rom-coms, but I forgot his name. Jujudapto, maybe? Um, yeah, have hampered, have hampered um, rom-com success. And yeah, sort of just like it's standing within like the movie world.
Number three, the genre also started to parody itself. Modern rom-coms started a trend of becoming quite self-aware and calling out these tropes whilst also indulging in them. I think Friends with Benefits does that. There's like loads of other films that do that. Um, But I think it's hard when you do that, when at the end of the day, you're going to follow the same formula with your film. So it's like you can't take that genre seriously and it can't go anywhere if you're trying to like take the mick out of it and parody it, but at the same time like just follow the same formula. Um number four. Flops were quite costly for studios. So towards the end of the 2000s, rom-coms were struggling at the box office. And this also meant that big stars were less inclined to star in these films. So, you know, Jennifer Lopez is in quite a lot. She's still doing rom-coms. Um, and say you had, like, you'd pay through the nose maybe to, to get her to be in your film. Rom-com flops at the box office. Studios are going to be less inclined to A, get stars to them and B, it means they're not going to want to spend any money on them because if it does flop, that is expensive to them. But at the same time, if they don't invest in these stars, nobody's going to come to see these films. So it's kind of like a rock and hard place. Um, also then, coupled with where we are now, um, you've got the takeover from streaming platforms um, like Netflix and Hulu and like Prime and everything like they like if you go on there and you look at films like they've got a hell of a lot of romantic comedies and you know it's their own films that they can write produce and distribute really really easily um because but then I suppose it's it's natural that they would because a lot of movie studios now shift towards like big budget like franchises so it's easier for these streaming platforms to pick up a lot of rom-coms and make them like they're not expensive to make number five like I've kind of already gone over this point but it just it's not so focused on like female audiences but modern rom-coms often struggle to relate to audiences if they don't relate to audiences they're obviously not going to be popular or endure at all and I think it can just be damaging to the to the the genre in of itself so as rom-coms can be quite definitive to growing up like a lot of people I think unless you really, really hate them like I think when you grow up to try and understand relationships um sex, marriage, whatever, I think rom-coms help culturally to define that for you and to help your understanding of it. I remember like when we grew up and I watched American Pie and I was like, oh my God, like horrified by it. Like, <laughs> so I was like, this isn't me. I'm not a teenager like this. And it just, just a lot of yeah, them like help. I didn't like um, American Pie, but then I not my humor so yeah yeah same but i just mean like when you watch it at that time you're very much like oh this 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 is what i should expect yes from like going to college or or whatever um so i think rom-coms are quite important in a way for reflecting what's happening culturally and also defining what people expect out of relationships and as they grow up and stuff 
Um, so a lot of movies from the 2000s became quite redundant due to their over-reliance on cliches, um, giving the same story over and over, um, just with different characters. And like we said before, crucially, with no chemistry. Because they were very much like I'm not I'm not gonna be like random actors, but it wasn't like your big actors, it wasn't like your big stars. If the actors in them had no chemistry, that film is not you're not gonna relate to that film whatsoever. It's just gonna be another like random filler film. Um and obviously a lot of these films were very heteronormative um because they wanted if it was studios making them they wanted to make them for a very general audience and like i say it goes hand in hand with the other point is that you've got to understand your female audience to make it relatable but they were trying to make it for a very generalized audience so just using a formula would obviously work um so yeah coupled with no stars bland formulaic scripts due to studios not investing in um um, audience grew really weary of mediocre rom-coms. As a result, audiences grew cynical, and this is reflected, I think this is reflected in a lot of the films today, which show the complexities and challenges involved in being in a relationship like I think that is a lot of the tropes that you see in successful rom-coms today um and like you were saying earlier not to mention like the influence of tv shows and the cultural shifts which in our society which kind of like open spaces to question monogamy, marriage, even romance, um, they allow films to explore that more. And I think the more successful films, the more successful rom-coms are the ones understand the way that our attitudes towards relationships and romance and marriage and everything involved in that are changing. And I think they A, need to reflect that. They B, need to have casts that reflect that. Um, And I think... Like, TV shows are able to do that a lot better now because they have the space and they have the time to do it. Um, and I think that's also why, like, there's another threat to, like, rom-com movies. So just out of curiosity, then, what would... Do you think you have a favourite rom-com from any specific decade that you think is, like, specific to that decade? Um, I don't know if they're like necessarily specific to it, but uh, Overboard would be mine for uh 80s. And then probably, probably really random, but Sliding Doors is probably for the 90s for me. Um, I feel like it should be Pretty Woman, but it's not. Have you like seen it. Pretty Woman? Yeah, I watched it with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, Pretty Woman. I enjoy Pretty Woman. It's good. I've only seen it once. Um, and then the 2000s. I've got ones that I'm like I'm fond of, and then so I don't I don't know like just ones that like I remember watching a lot. So like Made in Manhattan. Don't think I loved the film, but I just remember that we used to oh, watch. Oh, I liked Made in Manhattan. That's very much kind of what we were talking about the films with like Battle of the Sexes. Well, yes, no. It is a, well, I think it maybe is. Maybe not Battle like, of the Sexes. Maybe not Battle of the Sexes, but Comedy of Manners. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, class. I would say yeah, it's absolutely. a very it's it's a comedy of manners. That's what I would say is because it's kind of a sat a satire on um that kind of class system. Yeah, yeah. And really random, but I just remember that I used to watch Wimbledon. Oh, I loved Wimbledon. Well, with Kirsten Dunst and Paul Bettany in it. Wimbledon was amazing. And I like House Bunny. I don't know why. I just like it. Um, and then I had another one, but like when you look at it, people say it is a romantic comedy, but I have never thought of it as a romantic comedy. Uh, about a boy. I don't view that as a romantic comedy. Neither do I, but I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes and they're like, they've got it on their list of like what some of the best. And I was like, I don't know if I class that as one. But then maybe it's moving into that more kind of like realism sort of feel of them yeah. and branching out. But I just find well, that you grant sad. I don't it's really, a it is you grant, comedy, yeah. so. I just find the film sad. I don't really find it funny. Um, I find it very sad. Uh, and then 2010s, I couldn't really think of any, but I don't mind if Easy A is quite good. It's like, you know, it's watchable. Mm-hmm. And then for the 2020s, the only one that I've watched recently that I actually liked was the Pam Springs film with Pam Springs. Sandberg in it. Is that right? I really yeah. like that film. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if they all necessarily fit the tropes of the decades, but but mm-hmm. do romantic you watching any of them did they ever give you hope for your future romance well sliding doors i watched when i was older so don't know um and then yeah i suppose when i think once i watched when i was younger which would have been wimbledon made in manhattan about a boy maybe the proposal uh sort of yeah i think so it's hard because I'm such a cynic, so it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to like let yourself go and just watch it. But um, I suppose they do, yeah. But interestingly, just because I know you, I know you haven't seen it, but I know you don't want to watch it. And I know this isn't a film; it's a TV show. But I'm trying to look at the differences and where it's something that was so successful, which is still romantic comedy, um. But is so self-aware and so self-referential and cynical and satirical, I suppose. Would you prefer to watch something that's, I don't know, uh, like Made in Manhattan, right? Or something like Fleabag? Mm, Made in Manhattan. Why? Because it's less real. Hmm. Okay. Fleabag's too real. I'm just like, I don't want to know. So you would, you would prefer. So do you do you prefer your rom com to be traditional? Yeah, only because I see it. Then to me, it's more like fairy tale, fantasy. It's not real to me. Because I don't buy into the idea of it. So it's like to me watching like a fantasy for I know that right. sounds really weird yeah, I don't yeah, know how yeah. to put it um, and it's why like say like about a boy I wouldn't class that as a rom-com but I mean I just don't anyway but you know like it, it's quite real mm-hmm. um, so it's not necessarily I don't like these things it's just like I wouldn't necessarily watch it for like the reasons that you watch a rom-com okay. and like yeah I don't know I, I guess I buy more into these films because um, 
I am such a cynic that I don't watch them with like, oh my god, that's going to happen to me one day. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a film. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that explains it, but... Yeah, I mean, it's not a great comparison, um, me bringing that um, series up, but... No, I totally know what you mean, but I, I am it's... like that. I am like that, just if there are comedies that are like that as well. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Are you the same for genres? I mean, I know, well, no, actually, yeah, because you like kind of like 90s sort of things like Clueless and... Uh, what's the other one? Um, Ten Ten Things Boo. I Hate Boo. I love that film. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just you like Fleabag, so what do you think? I do like Fleabag. Um, I know what you mean. It's um, it's very real, but at the same time, it's relatable. So if you were watching it in that sense, then you would watch Fleabag in a way you should get more comforted by that because it's something that could. It's because it's it's she's so relatable in it the character and the situations are and it's not like these meet cute situations it's it's all these like all the boring horrible things that you maybe like have to deal with in relationships like that's what that is that's where the comedy comes from not ridiculous stupid scenarios that would never happen so i mean i enjoy both um, so it's hard for me to pick but if I wanted something that would make me laugh I feel like I'd want to go for a rom-com because I think like a traditional rom-com because so you don't think I don't right? know Sorry it's, it's hard it's hard Sorry to interrupt you but you know how like we say this probably said this loads in episodes of this podcast but you know how we like we always say right with horror films that if they're good they're great you should get scared if they're bad you can just laugh at them yes because they're terrible so you, you know they, they can you can you can kind of watch either good or bad horror films um i sort of think because i am such a cynic that i don't really I don't know. I like rom coms. I don't know if I necessarily seek them out to be like, oh my god, they're absolutely hilarious. But maybe what seeks them out to be like, oh, it's hilarious from like laugh at them cynically because they're bad. Yeah, or it's just funny to be like, never gonna happen. Or you know, yeah, like, you watch yeah, them yeah, through that yeah, kind yeah, of cynic yeah, yeah. lens, and then they're funny just because. I mean, I don't enjoy watching absolutely awful rom coms because they're just bad. But like, there is part of that enjoyment of watching them a bit to just be a cynic. Yes, I think then you you enjoy a rom com because of it is escapism. Mm-hmm. So you don't yeah. want something too realistic. No, not really. <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's why they are in trouble because they're too real. That's what I was trying to say before. Yeah. Sorry, when you were like, you don't want to get too, but it's hard because you want to make them relatable, but equally you don't want to get too bogged down in the real world because part of a rom-com's appeal, I think, is that blend of relatability. Mm-hmm. I think that's and why... And fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think that's why when rom-coms are good, they're really, really good. 
and when rom coms are bad, they're awful. Yeah, there's no in between. Yeah, I think so. Because I do think it's a bit like Gold Dust trying to make a good, good rom com. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to avoid all those cliches. Yeah. Makes me want to watch more, though. Same. But then I was looking at lists of them and I was like, I don't want to watch half of these films. No, I have to say, like, the least out of if we were going to go through sort of like the subgenres of them, like, I'd kind of gone through, like, my least favourite is, is sex comedies. Like, I don't enjoy them. Neither do I. That sounds prudish. It's not that. I just don't enjoy... I just don't, like, to me... There's a fine line with being like romantic and funny, and that's not my humor, so I won't watch that because of that. Mm -hmm. Like, I need something more slapstick. Well, yeah, not slapstick, like, but I know what you mean. What, what I think the term for it's probably a really old fashioned term, but I feel like a term for what you're talking about is blue humor, and you don't like it, and I don't like it. Yes, yeah, but it's still yeah. I just like a rom-com that's uh, just farcical and almost like fantastical enough to be attainable. Yep. You know? That's what I want. I think that's why I, I like see that. I think that's why I like Man Up. Such a yeah. random film. I was thinking of 10 things 8, but it was kind of like that. Yes. Yeah. I think successful rom-coms now, they're increasingly no longer just limited to that sort of like escapism, wish-fulfilled fantasy of just like having a relationship, we'll have it get married, we'll solve everything. Like, it's kind of like you were saying that like the romance is part of it, but there's so much more to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but equally as well, though, like, they don't want to get too bogged down in, like, other messages because people, if people are watching a rom-com, they're watching it because it's a rom-com. No, that's, that, that's true. That's true. But I just think those tropes will always be there. You'll probably always in some fashion have that. But you need to do more with it. You can't just rely on, like, I'm not going to have characters that mean anything. I'm not going to have any conflict that means anything culturally or socially. No, um, totally. But, like, I just mean, like, you don't. You want to try and make a distinction between the genres, if you know what I mean. No, that is it's true. Yeah. Difficult balance, I guess. I think the more successful films, like, they can navigate the complexities of love, life, and break away from like the heteronormative like formulas and narratives. And I think that's why, for example, I don't know if you ever saw it like The Big Sick or mm. Big Sick, um, or Crazy Rich Asians have been the most successful of late because they focus on like real issues. And they're very real about how they portray it. And I think at the, at the time, that's why when Harry Met Sally was massive. Yeah. But I think, I don't know. I agree with you, I do. But, like, I also think that, like, if I was thinking of a rom-com, and I'm not saying my tastes are amazing, I mean, I've got films that I like that are just total, like, you know, basically rubbish. But, you know, you watch them. Mm -hmm. Um. But the best ones, critically and then also just like, you know, the ones that 
stand the test of time, I would say. Uh, because rom-coms are selling, the whole premise of a rom-com and what they want to sell to the audience is love and that this couple is in love and they're going to be together or they should be together. So you have to flesh out your characters. It's all mm -hmm. well and good having like loads of different like issues and everything going on, but if your character's baseless, it's not going to work. Like you just have to have solid characters. You have to give mm -hmm. them a backstory. You have to flesh them out. You have to show what they like, what they don't like, other attributes to them other than the fact that they're um, attractive or you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I just think that's the key to a successful rom com to me. It's just good written, well rounded. But then why do you characters. why do you think they've been so like in decline of the last ten years? Do you think there's just no appetite for that, or um, yeah, but I also written? think part of it is just that, um, I suppose in a way, recently they've changed. So you've got like they started to get more films that were focused around sort of breakups or divorces and things, yeah, and those films true. have been quite successful. So like. I don't know if it was like usually successful, but you know, uh, like the breakup, how to be single was critically successful. Girls Trip was critically successful. My best friend's wedding, Celeste and Jesse Forever. These types of films are where the couple don't end up together. And like La La Land, I know it's like a musical and stuff, but it's also considered in the rom com genre they don't end up together. Um, so a lot of films where the couple actually don't end up together, but like sell. But I think it's well, I think it's because of the couple, the characters. Um. And then also, I think that, uh, yeah, that they've been sort of in decline because it will probably just be fatigue. Like, there's, because I feel that I think that's happening. I don't know, but I feel it anyway with Marvel. There's mm -hmm. this fatigue. Once something saturates so much, you're just like, God, I've had so enough of that. It's not so much that people are like, oh my God, I absolutely hate rom coms. It's just like, God, can we just not have another one? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they might come back because people are like, can I miss it? Um, so maybe they just need to take a break. And then also, if you take films like, for example, Marvel, right? Look at the way that Marvel went when they released um, Guardians of the Galaxy, for example. You could get everything you wanted in that film. You could get a romance, an adventure, sci-fi, uh, and comedy. They started to really put comedy in their films. So people were getting everything they wanted from like an action film or a sci-fi film. So you didn't necessarily need a rom-com, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's why I say like these films are kind of more cynical is that I do think you, people are more cynical towards romance and towards love and can get kind of like the 70s. You know, they do focus a lot more on like your personal ambitions, your personal satisfaction. Um, but I think it's just about like framing those films within it and also like taking risks in rom-coms i feel like a lot of rom-coms don't take risks they don't do anything new they don't do anything exciting mm -hmm. like there's nothing groundbreaking in these films that's yeah that, that changes and yeah okay like some characters might change here and there and whatever and some scenarios might but the formula is usually always the same and i just yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, obviously coupled with the fact that movie studios aren't investing in them, aren't writing them, actors aren't interested in them, and a lot of like streaming platforms have them. Like, there's too many of them. I think like it's just too many things that 
need to go into making a successful rom-com to make it successful if that makes sense and I just don't know if we've like to write a good one they're probably harder to write than you think I, I think they are. I really do think they are because like we always say with horror, for example, rom-coms that reflect the time that you're in, they there are a form of social commentary, a massive form of social commentary. And I feel like unless you understand the market, the people that you're aiming at, that you're talking about, unless you understand their worries, their issues, you will never be able to write a relatable comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. And I just think also because the kind of like, I would say the kind of social malaise that we sort of live in at the moment, I think it's hard to write a good romantic comedy that ticks all the boxes for everybody. At the same time, I just I just think like that's almost an impossibility. Um, and also chemistry. It's a big one. I know. But that comes with good characters. So. It does. It does. Right. But yeah, that was just like a brief overview of um, romantic comedies. Um, just to see where we are and like why it's kind of quite a, not a forgotten genre, but um, you don't see a lot of them these days. Um, and yeah, just to kind of like enjoy them a bit because I still enjoy a romantic comedy. Um, and yeah just there's so many of them about and everyone has their own one that they enjoy and um, yeah just a very quick overview of all of that but yeah I hope you enjoyed it I hope it's not made you hate the genre but you can go away and um, go back to some of your favourites and think about what you would want from like a good modern rom-com and why you what makes the ones that you like stand out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting to see why. But yeah, we'll be back next week with a new episode from Megan's choosing. Yeah. Don't know what that'll be yet. Thanks for listening. Thanks. This podcast was written and recorded by Megan and Claire and hosted on Anchor. Music was taken from Pixabay.